Arizona's news station. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. Hey, it's a new industry. It's uh, feeling some teething pains. We're talking about the e-scooters out there. Maybe you've ridden one. Maybe you've fallen off of one. Maybe you've seen them piled on the sidewalks. Maybe what? you've fallen off of Some one. Some people have. Isn't oh that a concern? People yes! falling off of them? I've never yes. fallen off of one. Oh, my. Uh, I've jumped off of one. Does that oh. count? Is there a story? Other than I just d- decided I wanted off of it and I jumped. I landed in sand. I was good. Okay. Um, but we're finding out now that both Lime and Bird, which to me are like the two big dogs in the industry, are pulling their scooters out of downtown Phoenix. You say are pulling. Um, they both pulled them out a while ago, a couple months ago, and they did so because of some new regulations that Phoenix was putting into play. And among them, we were talking about yesterday, we were we were just highlighting yesterday that the, regular, the regulation that Phoenix has put in place that geofences these scooters is a model that other cities is look, are looking at. It struck me as a reasonable compromise. The idea that you, you, you could only return the scooter after your ride to a designated area. Yeah, and if you didn't if you didn't leave it at a designated area, then the meter keeps ticking. Okay? Makes sense. Yeah, and other, other cities thought it made sense, yeah. too. Um, and, and when the city first put that regulation into play, both Bird and Lime left because they weren't ready for that. Lime was the only one who came back. Bird hadn't come back or hasn't come back mm-hmm, yet. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? But Lime's now leaving. Now they're out. So we just talked yesterday about Phoenix being the model of what other cities are looking at when it comes to e-scooters and the geofencing. And yesterday afternoon, we find out that Lyft is leaving hmm. the city of Phoenix, as well as 11 other cities. Now, why is that? Well, they're leaving for a variety of reasons. Um, it... it the profitability is down. Uh, There's a lot of choice, right? Riding as much, yes. Which means I think you're going to see even more consolidation in this space. You have to. You have had Uber that bought uh, Bird. Okay. Ford bought Spin. Oh. And and as I'm looking like at this Razor. right now, you've got how about I don't even know half of these. Bird. Yeah. Dot. Grin. Lime. Lift. Scoot. Skip. Spin. Tear. Uber. Yellow. Yeah, apparently a four-letter word is a good one. I've got a few of them that I could think of that people scream so out when funny. they're writing them. But I, I, I do find it interesting because I would hate to think. Uh, listen, I believe in a low regulatory environment, but 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 the e-scooter companies have to know that I would argue their biggest issue is people who don't use the scooters being forced to step over them, right? Or or having them thrown in their front yard or whatever it might be, which uh, businesses, you can't get in the front door. I can acknowledge that's an issue that they are in some way, shape, or form responsible for. But by putting it on the riders to return them, I hope that that in and of itself wasn't like, well, that's it. That's too big a, too big a, 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 a hurdle for us to jump over because... You think that for Lime or for the rider... For for the companies, okay. that, that that kind of no, regulation think, is too much for them. I don't think that kind of regulation is too much for them. I think what may be a bit too much is Phoenix has regulations, Mesa has regulations, you know, Paradise Valley has regulations, San Diego has regulations. Try, trying to keep up with yeah, the patchwork. Yeah, you've got the, the, the regulatory challenges on a city-by-city basis, mm-hmm. which is a lot. Yeah. And that's why I think, again, you're going to see more consolidation as you got companies that are like, okay, we've got we to work together on this. So I used to ride them a lot more, uh, especially when I would go over to California, Southern California area. It's where it started with Bird, right? First time I ever saw one. Well, I was they like, started in Santa Monica. I got to get on one of those. Mm-hmm. I rode it in Santa Monica. 
count me as one. And again, I, my, my appeal, uh, uh, I, I, I don't know who to talk to at Bird or, uh, or, or Lime or any of them because I just don't understand that there are different rules, regulations, laws for every single city. And you can imagine, it's like when we say you drive from Phoenix into Tempe into Mesa. Like, you don't know what city you're in, right? I mean, it's not like like everything changed. Like, look at the houses here. We're in a different city. No, it looks identical, right? There's a Burger King on the corner. There's a Staples here. All look the same. Um, in California, you can go from Marina del Rey, I'm trying to go up the beach here, Venice, Santa Monica, right? Go south, you're hunting the beach. They all have different rules. And I don't know when I'm riding along and I cross an intersection that suddenly I'm in violation now because so I went across done? the street. I've stopped riding them. Yeah. So that's the problem. Because out of confusion. So you're confused. Confused. And want to follow the rules. These companies well, I don't want to get into a, a low-speed chase with a cop, you know, with me doing eight miles an you know hour what? on You know what? I'd love to see that as long Low as speed chase going on Facebook right now. live streaming that. I'm all in. I'm not going to get away. I'm not well, No. Away. So I want to see what happens when they tackle you. There's going to be tasing involved. I hope. <laughs> one, one can only hope, right? So, uh, but as you have this confusion, the companies have this confusion. Yeah. And because of your confusion, you've stopped riding. And that, and that confusion the then yeah. hurts their bottom line. I'm sorry, guys. So it, it's, it's one of these things where I don't think scooters are going anywhere. I honestly don't. It, it, it's something that in Phoenix, maybe we're not the right market for it. Because, again, Phoenix just got, like, what, a grocery store last week? You know? It's one oh, of those downtown things. Phoenix. Yes, oh, okay. Exactly. I, I see what you're saying. Like, the downtown area. It's not exactly hustle and bustle it's, a lot. It's so, oh, my it's goodness. It is so much better than what it used to be. Like, poor Stevie Z, who goes down there all the time, lives down that area. You can only you tell him, it. go back in the days where, you know this, if the Phoenix Suns weren't playing... You could shoot a cannon off on Central, you wouldn't hit a soul. Okay, so the Rock and Roll Marathon is back here in the Valley on on January 19th. I remember as an intern for KTAR, I went and I covered the very first Rock and Roll Marathon. And I remember walking through downtown Phoenix. And when you get these kinds of marathons, right, they're huge events. People from all over the country travel for these things. And I remember walking through downtown and somebody asked me, where can I get a cup of coffee? We're going to get a cup of coffee right here. And I'm like, um, there. I think there's a Starbucks over there. And Have you like, gone to the airport? Said, They've got something over there? It's closed. It's closed. And I mean, imagine coming from a San Diego or an L.A. or a Vegas. And going to the downtown of Phoenix. And, and not being able to get a cup of coffee. Because right. these races start early in the morning, right. you and know? Everything's closed. If that has changed. It. Yes. That has changed in 20 years. We're moving in the right direction. But still, I think that people in Phoenix are married to their cars. Yes. And so there's not that much of use of e-scooters in Phoenix. Now, you start going to, to places like Tempe. I'm not talking about the valley. I'm talking about specific like cities. ASU area. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, there is what I would have given oh. as a student at oh. ASU who Preach. came here from Pittsburgh, Speak did not it. have a car. Mm-hmm. And so that meant I had a bike and I had to take two showers you know, a day in the summer because you stink a little. Ouch. What I would have given to have an e-scooter. It would 
have been fantastic. So I think that it depends on the market, but eventually you're going to get to a point where I think it, it benefits these companies to have just some basic rules and some basic regulations. All agree upon. That, that way it helps you as the rider and it helps them as the company. I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to disparage or besmirch my fraternity at the University of Arizona. But one of the deciding factors was I could park at my fraternity and uh, easily get to class. We all have priorities. I thought that was an important part of this fraternity. I was like, how's the parking situation here? Because you just couldn't park. You couldn't get around campus. It's horrible. Earlier today, we had the director of Arizona DPS, Colonel Frank Milstead, talking about some of the, well, specifically the brand new freeway in town. Have you driven on the new Loop 202 South Mountain? Or have you noticed a decrease in congestion through the center of Phoenix? Either way, the new freeway's open. Sadly, we've already had problems with it. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. We always look forward to having Colonel Frank Milstead in studio. We have always a lot of questions. I mean, like many of you, we drive around the valley, drive around the state. And uh, Colonel Frank is, in many ways, uniquely responsible for a lot that goes on on our freeways. And we just had, uh, just a couple weeks ago, the long-rumored, uh, ahead-of-schedule, new Loop 202 South Mountain portion of a freeway. Open up 22 new miles of freeway that provides a bit of a uh, a bypass for downtown Phoenix from people traveling along the I-10. Yeah, opened up three years early. Yeah, that's something. And just two weeks after being open. Yep. We had a wrong way driver. We had a fatality. And and this one was the driver themselves. Um, and we, we actually talked to Colonel Frank about this because I think there is a perception that every wrong way driver is a drunk, confused person who, who, who got on the wrong, you know, went down the on-ramp, you know, you know what I'm saying? And, and was completely unaware of what they were doing. There appears to be some evidence. It actually comes from the... Uh, the camera inside the truck that was hit by the wrong way driver, that there might have been more going on. This last accident, uh, I've seen the video from inside the truck. Uh, it's uh, mind-boggling. Uh, it To me, it looks intentional, and I don't oh. know that we'll ever know that, but it looks, uh, the truck driver sees the, uh, the vehicle coming, and he is literally talking in the cab saying wrong way driver and he's moving over to get out of the way and the uh, wrong way driver continues to move into the path Mm. of the truck. Okay, so maybe a little bit of a different story than what we hear typically when it comes to wrong way drivers where there is some sort of impairment involved. But regardless of the situation, this freeway opened up three years early. Okay. And we're finding out that this summer, Wrong-way detection is going to be installed on the 202, which I think begs the question, why was it opened without it? Why the rush, necessarily, if, quote, it wasn't ready with this latest technology that we're using on other freeways? We're using on one other freeway, really. One other freeway. Um, The I-17, really, from the 101 in the North Valley to the 10 in the South Valley. There's a pilot program going on there through ADOT right now, Mm -hmm. where you have different technologies where they're trying to stop runway drivers. It appears as though some of those piloted technologies are now going to be installed on the 202 this summer. And if you're going to do it this summer, why didn't you just wait for it? Um, 
Um, would it have done anything in this situation? Maybe don't, not. Don't know in this situation. Well, because this also appears to be a very different kind of situation, atypical Agreed. from what we see with regular drunk drivers. But I wanted to, to, to get a little bit more from Colonel Frank Milsit, again, the director of DPS, about what this technology does and what this technology doesn't do, oh. because I drive a lot. Yeah, you're I drive on the from Gilbert to North Phoenix every single day. That is my commute. And beyond that, I'm driving all over for club soccer. So I've got my family, you know, in the car. It's the most dangerous thing I'm going to do. And I want to protect the most important thing to me. How does this do that? And here's what Colonel Frank Milstead had to say. The detection system is a thermal camera, which means it basically picks up the heat, uh, senses a car uh, day or night. It can see the the, the car and it knows that a car is coming the wrong way and entering the freeway. It starts to flash lights on the ramp, tell people they're going the wrong way. And it tries to get this impaired driver, which are most of them are impaired, to not enter the freeway and to self-correct. Does it do anything for people like me who are just driving on the road? It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't tell you that uh, there is a problem up ahead. And and the only thing you're going to get as a driver currently is those overhead signs will say to you, wrong way driver. And our traffic operations center immediately lights up those signs that someone's coming. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm not mad at that. I, I don't know what the the solution would be to tell everyone that's going the right direction Following that the there's one person going the wrong way hmm. other than a sign. But then I ask you this. With that sign, have you ever seen one, Bruce, that caution wrong yes. way driver ahead? The, 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 you know, the ones that they put the funny slogans on, like the force be with you. But, you know, the, but I was driving on the 51 northbound at about Highland. And I saw one that said, wrong way, driver ahead. It was, it was nighttime, 9, 10, 11. What'd uh, you do? I got in the far right lane. I never drive in the carpool lane at night. I learned from my cop friends. So I'd never drive in the carpool lane to begin with. I went to the right and I slowed down, but I didn't get off the freeway. I've seen it once. Yeah. It was on the 60. I was headed eastbound, probably around Alma School, and I got off. You got you exited I, the freeway. Life's too short. And, and I mean, they, they, they've put a huge sign up there for you. Telling Danger. You this is, like, heed the warning. Yeah. Get the heck off the road. Yeah. But I think a lot of people do what you do. And they're just like, oh, I'll just move over here. But in that situation like that we heard Frank Milstead, Colonel Milstead talk about there, the driver may have intentionally been looking to hit someone. Or now, again, impaired to the point where they were following headlights and ended up driving into you. It's it just, it's not a, a, a foolproof system. Agreed. And we're never going to have a foolproof Agreed. system. Um, and, and as you heard from Colonel Frank Milstead, I mean, we have this technology out there, but it doesn't solve everything. That detection system only lets us know that somebody entered. Well, this guy knew someone entered. He saw it. He saw it coming. Um, and then you have to have somebody to respond and to try to intercept a missile going the wrong way on the freeway. It's great technology, but it's, does, it is not a, a panacea to the wrong way driving problem. I brought something up that I had heard, and we got some clarification on it. On the 17, 17 freeway now. Between I-10 to the south and 101 to the north. So you know what I'm talking about? That stretch of the 17, straight up through kind of the middle of Phoenix. The on-ramps have these metered lights, a red and a green light to uh, during rush hour to stem the flow of traffic. If those lights are red at any other time, they're just red, 
That means that the wrong way driver has been seen and don't enter the freeway. But how many people just heard that for the first time and would not know what to do? Ninety-nine percent. Yeah, exactly. There hasn't been a campaign out there to, to inform people about that. I'm trying. Hey, you know what? The Humana Rock and Roll Marathon I was telling you about a little earlier is back in the valley Sunday, January nineteenth. Come on out. You know what? Cheer the athletes. Enjoy the music. There's going to be a lot of bands, free concerts from the Gin Blossoms. Yeah, that's happening at Tempe Beach Park. You can find out all the details uh, at the events page at ArizonaSports.com or you can go to RunRockAndRoll.com slash event slash Arizona. Another horrible, tragic, awful story of an ex-priest indicted on charges of sexually abusing boys right here in Phoenix. We're talking about that and, and the bigger issue of what responsibility the churches have coming up next. Arizona's news station, KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. A former Catholic priest has been indicted here in the Valley on charges of sexually abusing two boys going back um, about 12, 15 years ago. Yeah, but the allegations against him go back much further than that. We're talking about... uh, uh, his name is, is is John Spaulding, but he's known as Father Jack, and he had been a, a priest at several different churches. All over the valley, right? All over the yeah. valley, from El Mirage to Glendale to Cave Creek to Mesa. But uh, we find out that this, this former Catholic priest was indicted yesterday in a grand jury on charges of sexually abusing two boys under the age of 15 more than a dozen years ago. And some, I mean, it appears as like the the diocese knew about other allegations against this this priest because in 2011, that took him a year to investigate an allegation before they decided it was credible and then suspend them. This is something I know you and I have discussed in the past, and there appears to be even some science behind it, that predators like this, sexual predators specifically who prey on younger people, getting outside of just the religious world, they rarely have one or two in stop. And that the concern is, with the amount of different places he was, are there more victims out there that just haven't come forward? Yeah, I mean, and there have been victims who have come forward to the Phoenix Diocese, but have not gone on to report it to the police. Okay, so that becomes an issue, right? Well, I mean, if this is your religion, and this is what you believe, you may want to tell the church and the diocese it's what's going on to protect others, and so they don't have to go through what you go through, but you're not comfortable bringing the law enforcement into it. I'm not saying that to the average Joe, that may make sense. But when when this is your belief system, you're mm-hmm. trying to do what's right, but you're trying to also square that with religion. I think one of the problems is, and and you touched on it there, um, and this goes to a, um, another story that I saw. Uh, let's go the state of Virginia. You had a 16-year-old tell her parents that the church's youth leader was sending her sexually suggestive text messages. Okay, so this is like a youth group leader. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. They go to the church. Yeah. They go to the pastor. The church says, we'll take care of it. It was also the pastor's son. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, the youth leader then goes on to 
victimize, including physically, a number of other underage girls. He is caught. He's convicted on five felony counts of indecent liberties with a minor. The problem being that there are these other victims who would not have been victims had the church dealt with him as the criminal that he was on day one. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was the argument that you could have made within the Catholic Church with the sexual abuse, uh, not just allegations. We know that it happened dating back decades. So here's the thing. In the state of Arizona, um, if you suspect, if you suspect child abuse of any sort, you are supposed to report it. State law spells out people who, by the way, are obligated. People like doctors. Mandatory reporters. Mandatory yeah. reporters. Mm-hmm. Teachers. Police officers. Teachers. Um, parents, step-parents, guardians of a minor. And also... Members of the clergy, priests, or Christian science practitioners. That's the wording they use. Now, now, here's the thing. I think we all as humans are obligated to report when a child is being abused in any capacity. I think that we just have a moral right? obligation They're to moral. that. But these individuals that you just named, they are mandatory reporters, meaning while we all have a moral obligation, those individuals can be charged with a crime yes. if they don't report it. A class six felony under Arizona law for not reporting offenses, including child sex trafficking, incest, videotaping, photography, filming, digital yeah, reporting okay. of minors. Yeah. The problem you run into is when you get back to the church again, there's a pretty broad exception. And the exception is that if a clergy, Christian science practitioner, priest has received confidential communication or a confession, they may withhold reporting of that if they deem it is reasonable and necessary within the concepts of their religion. Yeah. So, again, I go back to born and raised Catholic and, you know, had first communion and you have your confirmation, all those things. So confession is a critical part of the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And what it's saying is in confession, that's protected. That what you share with a priest is protected along the same lines as what you would share with an attorney is protected. Mm -hmm. At least in 44 states. There are six states out there. Arizona is not one of them. But there are six states out there that require all abuse to be reported to authorities. And the reason why we bring that up is because in Oregon, there is a, a wife that is now suing. What? The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because her husband uh-huh. confessed his sexual abuse to clergy as required by church rules. Sexually abusing a child. And then the confession was passed along to police. They investigated and now she's suing the church for nine and a half million dollars because she said we did what we were supposed to do under the rules of the church and the church didn't tell us that by following this guidance and confessing the sins that they would report it to authorities. And her husband is serving 15 years in prison now for being convicted of abusing an underage girl. Now, the church says that they teach leaders and members that they should fulfill all legal obligations to report abuse to civil authorities, that this is what they teach. So. Um, and Oregon is you know, part of the mm-hmm. clergy being mandated by law to report this stuff. Um it's a fine line, though. Most definitely. And I would venture but to, to say... to moral 
I would venture to say most people don't know their state law as to whether or not the yeah. clergy the clergy is required so, to report. Is she arguing that in Oregon they need to put a, 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 the sign out there that goes warning anything you say in this confessional booth can and may use be against you in a court of law? I don't know. It's just a weird story, especially Careful what you coming on to. the heels of again a former Catholic priest here in Phoenix being indicted yeah. on several child abuse charges. As if the news could get worse for Boeing and their 737 MAX aircraft. We're going to give you the latest on that, including one of the scariest slash funniest lines to come out of this. It involves monkeys. Just going to throw and it clowns. in there. And clowns. And clowns. Coming Don't up next. Clowns. On Arizona's news station. Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. I fancy myself a pretty good flyer. I'm not the nervous type, Pamela. You know, the fly planes. It gets a little bumpy. I don't. I don't grab onto the. I mean, as a passenger. Yeah. Okay. A good flyer. Um, I'm okay with it. But count me as one who at least has some concerns about what Boeing has been doing and this whole 737 Max debacle. And this doesn't make me feel any better. There are new. Internal documents, these are from inside Boeing, that came out yesterday, were made aware to congressional investigators looking into it, that don't exactly paint Boeing in the best light when it comes to what did they know, when did they know it, and how are they dealing with the issues and the problems with their new plane, the 737 MAX? So they're starting to get some some new details out, some new documents, text messages, memos, things along those lines. And one exchange oh. among uh, Boeing employees, yes, he said to her, a guy and a girl, you know, that they wouldn't a let a, a family member ride on the 737 Max. Wow. Okay. Okay. That's. I mean, that's pretty powerful. The people designing, building, engineering the plane say, I wouldn't let my family fly on it. Another. We have employees. That were we're pretty upset with with Boeing's senior management. All right, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and one employee wrote, and I'll read it verbatim. You ready for this? <clears throat> Sitting down. This airplane is designed by clowns, who in turn are supervised by monkeys. Again, I don't think does that clowns give you and monkeys. Co- clowns and monkeys. Yeah. I don't want it to be a circus when I get on a plane. Well, and these aren't all like disgruntled ex-employees. Many of them are still working there. Many of them were in charge of very, you know, important systems on this aircraft. And, uh, okay. and I, I got to tell you, it's one of those things where, okay, so Boeing has kind of admitted they need to do some better PR. Um, is, no, you need to do better airplanes, not PR. Focus okay. on the planes, will you? Well, but that's what I'm getting into. Fair enough. But the <laughs> okay. problem they've run into is that apparently a lot of you out there are becoming more and more familiar with airplanes and that the flying public doesn't want to get on one of these, that they're concerned about them. And I mean, for Boeing to survive as a company, they can't be known as, you know, the plane you don't want to get on. Yeah, but I would also, yeah, everything you said, I totally get. And I think people are more aware today than they were two years ago when it comes to like the 737 MAX. But quick, how many people have been on one in the last Not, year? In the, the MAX is, yeah. They've been grounded. Right. A lot of them have I flew been. on one before they were grounded. 
Oh, but, Southwest. But how many people know what kind of plane they're flying? Right. They're not all nerds. You, like you me. can look. I just went and looked up. I know because you're flying here soon. I'm flying next week, so I looked up. I'm not on any. I'm not on any Boeings at all. I'm flying all Airbuses for whatever. But uh, but most people don't know. So to say that does it scare them? Yeah. When I hear like employees talking about you know monkeys, it's designed by clowns, clowns and supervised by monkeys. Yes, nobody knows. Doesn't give me a Won't whole lot of confidence. Let my family ride on it. When I'm getting into a metal tube, you know, 35,000 feet above the ground. That being said, um, I don't I, I think it's going to hurt Boeing when it comes to lawsuits. And I think it's going to hurt them, you know, and, and that public perception. I, I don't well. necessarily disagree with you because I, I wonder I wonder if that when all is said and done. You're looking to book your flights, you pick the cheapest flight. And if it's a 737 Max, so, so be it. That's how you pick your flights. Fingers crossed. Monkeys and clowns. Might be one of the reasons why you think we're going to hang in a handbasket. Pamela says she can restore your faith in humanity. Yeah, so we got to go to Austin today, and that's where we're going to meet Jim. Jim, you know, went to the Goodwill to get a VCR because, I mean, let's be real. That's where you're getting a VCR these days. And when he bought it and brought it home, he noticed there was a VHS tape inside. Well, Jim did what all of us would do and press play. play. And what he found was a little boy in a diaper, taking his first steps with his big brother and his dad nearby. On the bottom of the videotape, it said September 1994. Now, you go back to 1994, and this was a point in time where people didn't videotape everything, right? This was one of those special occasions, and so Jim wanted to get it back to its rightful owner, knowing that it was important. He put a clip of it up on Facebook, hoping that whomever donated this was local and would see it. A woman did. She called her son, Tyree, who is 26 years old, and said, hey, son, you were just on television. I know because I know that living room. I know that house. And I set up that camera. Tyree was able to see the clip of his first steps. And he said the other thing that, that he saw in that video was himself, his dad, and his brother in the same room, which hasn't happened in a very long time. Wow. And he said that uh, he wants to just be a blessing, just like Jim was to him, and that is purpose is to help people and to make them smile just like Jim helped him smile after seeing that VHS tape. That's super cool. It's a really neat story. Thank you very much, Pamela. Restoring your faith in humanity. Hey, Pamela and I look through the double pane bulletproof glass over there. We have DJ Luke. I'm your father. We also have super producer Stevie Z and Bob McClay.